Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. If you're a parent, you've lived through the what's that stage. It comes pretty early. When they're young and they're learning and everything is what's that? What's that? Bennett used to say it all the time. What's that? Daddy, what's that? What's that? And then there's another phase that comes along, and it's the why phase. Remember this phase, if you're a parent? Don't do that. Why? Because it'll hurt you. Why? Because it's hot. Why? Because it's a stove. Why? Because some man in some factory turned it into a stove. Quit asking why. Why? (laughs) So if you've lived as a parent through those stages, you understand sometimes coming in and out. Why? That is indeed the question. (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. I just want to know what's that. I don't know. Um, but you've lived through those stages, and you know as a parent, sometimes those questions can be so, fr- so absolutely. You know what it might be, too, by the way? Uh, you think it's. Check one, two, check, check. There's a lot of interference now. Cell phones and okay, you really don't have to stand back there the whole time. I'm loud enough to. Uh, <laughs> I know you would because you're you're a great guy. Where was I? <laughs> right, the questions. So you live through those stages where you get questions left and right, and you know how frustrating that can be as a parent. It's a point where you just wish they couldn't talk anymore. You're like, just silence for a moment, please. No more questions. And the worst is if you're trying to have some quiet time alone in the bathroom and a toddler shows up. What you doing? You don't want to go there. Questions. We all have them. And some of you have been taught as you've grown up, we're not supposed to ask questions, particularly of God. Now, I understand the idea behind that, but Jesus forever made the question why holy from the cross. God is big enough for our questions. And he doesn't look at us like I looked at my child, particularly Bennett, with frustration at consistent questions. God doesn't treat us like toddlers, although we deserve to be treated like toddlers. Instead, he meets us head on. He's big enough to take on our questions. 
So today we're looking at the crucifixion in Mark's telling of the story. And we're looking at this question, why? It was on the lips of Jesus from the cross. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 15. And we're going to pick up where we've left off the last few weeks. And we're going to actually start with verse 22. Mark 15, 22. You can follow on the screen on a smart device or, on, or in your... Or in your first generation Bible software. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Stop. Does anybody know what that was? Wine mixed with myrrh. It was an analgesic. It was supposed to kind of take the... It was supposed to make it to where you wouldn't care anymore. It was a numb the pain, blur everything, and just get through it. It was kind of like morphine. Where else did myrrh show up? At his birth. So Jesus, in the first gifts that he received... He might have been about three years old when he received them. There was myrrh. How fitting that at the end of his story, he is offered the same gift to take away the pain, and he refuses it. Why? Why do you think that is? Not rhetorical, not toddler why, but why? Why would Jesus refuse it? He wanted to full-on experience the pain of the world. Anything else? He didn't want his thinking to be cloudy. Total obedience to the Father. Anything else that you can think of? I think Jesus refused for all of those reasons. I, don't, I think he... He was walking this, this path of obedience. He knew this was the direction he was supposed to go in. And he didn't want to be clouded to make an unclear judgment at, the, at that point. And then he did it to meet the pain of the world head on. Now, I don't know if you've ever really let that settle in on you. We have a God who understands pain. So that when you do come to those questions of why, why this painful thing happened to me, understand that you're asking that question of a God who understands pain. He's not a God who has stayed somewhere off and distant. He's a God who understands human suffering and pain. Firsthand. Which I think is a significant point that we, the point that we don't take enough time to settle into and think about when we see the pain that's going on in Ukraine as bad as that hurts us I think God feels that pain for those people and he feels it real it's not the idea of pain he knows it firsthand and I think that's an important part to understand about what Jesus came to do, not only to save us, but to 
live as us, to feel as us, to experience as us, to die in such a way that he took on the real pain of the world. Every time we experience pain, we understand that there's a God who has experienced pain too. So he refused to take this mixture. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide each uh, what each should take. And it was the, the third hour when they crucified him. Now Mark is the only is the only gospel that records the hour of the, begin, of, of the crucifixion, except John. Well, John doesn't say the specific hour, but in John's timeline, this doesn't fit. The third hour is, does anybody know what the third hour is? It might say in your Bible. Nine o'clock in the morning. So in John, it acts, uh, th- this stuff doesn't happen at nine o'clock in the morning. We don't know if Mark has information that John didn't, We don't know if John uses this because it's a triplet. He uses three sets of three here, and it might be uh, Jewish um, symbolism that he's using here. We're not real sure. But in this accounting, at nine in the morning, he was put on the cross. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. Now, the reason why Pilate and the Roman... Uh, leaders did this was the only type of of um, of capital punishment available was for was for rebellion. And if if someone claimed to be king, what they were saying is, "I'm king over this part of the world, which is supposed to fall under the kingship of Caesar." So Caesar's not king here; I'm king here. And so this is the legal rendering of why Jesus was crucified. He was crucified in Rome's eyes because he was the king of the Jews. He claimed to be king over something that Caesar was. How many of us do that, though, on a daily basis? I mean, if you really stop and think about that, how often do we claim to be king of our lives Nope, this is Caesar's kingdom, not yours, God. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. In Mark's version of or tell the gospel, there is not one of the thieves on the cross that repents. Again, we don't know if Mark just doesn't have that information when he wrote his gospel. We don't know if at some point both thieves were mocking him, and then there was a change of the heart? We don't know. But according to Mark, both of them reviled him at some point. So let's take a stop here and think about this. Jesus is in pain. Crucifixion was brutal. In fact, so brutal 
that our word excruciating comes from crucifixion. It is the worst pain, and it is a complete embarrassment. Because it was done for everybody to see. It was shameful. And there is prophecies in the Old Testament that say that for someone to die on a tree meant that they were cursed. So it was not only painful physically, it was painful as a human to be shamed in that way. And so here Jesus is on the cross being shamed and full of pain. Pain that is physical and pain that is mental and as we're about to see, pain that is relational. The cross. They have recently actually found archaeological evidence that nails were used pretty often. At one point, archaeologists said, well, you can't believe the Bible because, you know, it says that he was nailed to the tree, but he, he really wasn't because they didn't use nails. They tied them to the posts. But new findings show that clearly there were nails used in multiple times. And one in particular showed very clearly how that would have been used. The legs would have been crossed over and nailed through the back, both feet at the same time. And those feet would have rested on a very small ledge of an extra piece of wood. And then on the cross beam there would have been place for the arms to be stretched out really wide, maybe even dislocated, and the nails would have gone probably through the forearm. Not necessarily the palms, but the forearm. And there you hang. Most people who died on the cross died from physical exhaustion. Their bodies couldn't breathe anymore. It was horrific. And there Jesus was, suffering that kind of pain. But how ironic, how ironic that they say, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They had proof before them the whole time in his ministry that he was something special. He himself said who he was. His teachings pointed back to what he was coming to do, and yet they still didn't believe. They had plenty of proof before them. They had all the evidence, but they refused to believe. So let me ask you this. If he did come down from the cross, do you think they would have believed him? I mean, wasn't it in the trial that some of them accused him of doing these acts of miracles or these, these works of healing out of the strength of, of the enemy. It was Satan's power, not God's power. So if he comes down, are they going to really believe that he's the son of God? Probably not. What else is ironic is that, is that they say, you who, destroy, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. That if you want to save yourself, you, you, you saved all these other people, save yourself. But the answer is that for Jesus to truly save us, he had to do what he was doing. And Jesus is feeling the pain and hearing this and knowing that they're all wrong, knowing that they're completely missing the boat, knowing that they have 
totally lost track inside of what's happening. And I don't know what would have been more tempting for me. The physical pain to relieve it or humanity's complete wrongheadedness about what I was doing. I mean, I would have wanted to be justified. I don't know about you. I mean, look, I'm a wimp. I wouldn't have liked the pain. But even more the embarrassment and knowing that the people who I came to save didn't understand what I was doing would have, would have felt unjust to me. They have to understand. And if he had had a cloudy mind, his mind have wondered somewhere else, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do come off the cross, they will know. But instead of submitting to the pain or submitting to this, this drug, he submits to the will of the Father. And there Jesus died on the cross between two thieves. But this is what happens in the sixth hour. So if at 9 a.m. in the morning, this is at noon, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So for three hours, we have the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, three sets of three. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, let's talk about the darkness first. There have been people that said, well, it's impossible for there to have been a solar eclipse at that time. This can't be real. And that's what makes it so spectacular, that this is miraculous, that there was a darkness unexpected. And why the three sets of three? This is why you can answer it. All right, so the Trinity. What else does three represent? We think he could have died at 33. We're not real sure. But three days in the grave. What else? The Trinity. Completion. Is that was that you, Ken? Yeah. Three is the is the number of completion. It's perfect. It's the perfect number. I don't know if you know this. Rule of thirds in design. How many designers are in here? Yeah. There's a rule of thirds in design. Nature creates itself and multiplies itself in this idea of three. Did you know that? Did you know that if you take a perfect spiral, that the math to that is thirds? It's crazy. There is three all, all in our world that points to perfection and beauty. And if you grew up, when I grew up, you know three is the magic number 
<laughs> schoolhouse rock. Let me tell you something. I'm all about some schoolhouse rock, even to this day. Three means completion. It reminds us of the wholeness of God. It reminds us that Jesus lived this complete life, 33, if that's exactly what he did. But that's why that number is there. Three, perfection and beauty. Now think about that. Perfection and beauty in the middle of a crucifixion. Perfection and beauty on a hill, on a cross, where Roman torture, torture was being played out on an innocent man. Perfection and beauty. So the two literature uh, teachers slash professors in the room today, isn't this amazing? Isn't this really cool? I mean, it is to me when I think about it. God was writing perfect literature before we knew what perfect literature was. In the telling of his story, we see that he was doing something beautiful, even in the middle of something disgusting, even in the middle of something we can't comprehend. And so then Jesus shouts out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is a quote from what? Psalms. Anybody know which Psalms? It is a Psalm of David, and it is Psalm 22. And this is what Psalm 22 says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In the psalm, we don't have time to read the whole thing because it's 30 plus verses. He goes on to talk about how God will bring victory and vindication. So as Jesus is hanging from the cross, there are two things that are going on in this quote. The first is that Jesus feels the utter separation from the Father. He feels this forsakenness. He feels it deeply, and like the psalmist in Psalm 22 writes, he's begging God, why, oh God, why? Why is it that these people are doing this, this to me? Why do my enemies win? Why, why am I being defeated like this? God, what is going on? And it's an honest question. It's the question why, and it's the question of a, of a son to a father. Because at this moment, Jesus is suffering. But it's also a reminder to himself that even in the pain and the suffering, there is hope and there is beauty. Even in the middle of suffering, he knows God is bigger. He knows that the Father is bigger. He knows that he will be vindicated. He knows that God has this plan. He knows that something beautiful is going to happen. And so he asks this question why, and he feels it, and he feels forsaken, but he's also asking it in such a way to remind himself that there is hope. Guys, I don't know if you're in a hopeless place. I don't know if you're in pain right now, but there is hope. And Jesus from the cross is tapping into that in Psalm 22 as he quotes this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the time knowing that there was a bigger plan. 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Because they heard Eloi, Eloi, they thought he might be saying something to Elijah, but instead Eloi is God. And then when the centurion, I'm sorry, verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in, his, in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. And it was a Roman centurion who had been there through the whole thing that first recognized, even more than his disciples, who Jesus was. I think, I think he says, truly this is the Son of, of God because of what it says, because of the way he died. He saw that in this way he breathed his last. He saw that he cried out to God. He knew that he was connected to something bigger. He saw something in Jesus that all too often we, on the backside of the events, too accustomed to. We lose the splendor of that moment. We lose the power of that moment. It just becomes part of our theology. And we lose touch with the real connectedness that we all have. That, that the God who created took on the pain of creation. That the God who created and was perfect took on our imperfections. <laughs> in breathing his last and releasing himself, he chose when he died. Why? Why? Why this horrible scene? Why this horrible suffering? Why? I mean, I think there's multiple answers to this, right? And we could have where we sit around and talk about why, the why. From a theological standpoint, the why is that sin had to be dealt with, that there was separation between humanity and God, and it had to be dealt with. And so Jesus took on that suffering, that he took on the pain of the world so the world could be set free and reconnected to the God of the universe, that sins could be given. That's the theology behind it. That's the why. But Why? Why? And I think that you know the answer to that too. It's God's desperate love for you. I don't mean desperate like desperate if he doesn't get it, he won't survive. But desperate like the parent who's lost a child. Desperate. The parent saw one night whose child they thought had been abducted from a video store when Laura and I were there picking up a video. Video, VHS. It's this thing that's about like this. 
and had to rewind it and all that stuff. Kid goes missing. The police come in. They lock us in this place. I think it was a movie gallery, and we're stuck in there. We're like, what the heck is going on? Parents are wailing and crying. Kid's gone missing. No one knows where he is. People are baffled by it. How could kid little toddler get away where did they go what in the world someone had to take them back then the video cameras would have taken forever if they even worked to maybe to maybe try to find if someone did abduct them they were thinking the worst they were expanding the perimeter and looking out in the parking lot looking in the dumpsters all of that stuff was going on and the parents were were losing it And my heart broke for them. And then all of a sudden, this little head pops out of the video return. You don't know what that is? There was a slot with this box. And you put your video in it, and it went down kind of like a mailbox. And the kid had crawled up in there and fallen asleep. And he wakes up to this loud wailing of his mom and police everywhere. And this kid's like, oh, something great is happening. And he pokes his head out of the return, and everybody loses it, not because they're mad at him, because they're rejoicing because they thought they had lost their child. Jesus told a story about this, didn't he? It's that desperation of that mom and dad looking for their child in the video store, and when they found that child, there was great rejoicing, and the police were rejoicing, and the parents were rejoicing. I was rejoicing because it was date night, and I just wanted to watch a movie. How much more this God who is your father longs out of love back to crawl out of the video return box in darkness and back into his arms. That's why, isn't it? It's his absolute love for us. Guys, this Easter, as you remember the cross, And later, next week, as we remember the resurrection, remember all of this, all of this pain, all of this suffering was out of love. It was love. Because he created us to be in relationship with him. That's why. And the only way to make that possible was to take on your suffering and your pain. Why? Because of much. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.